invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to that Mark 5 passage that Pastor Dave read for us a little earlier. As I introduce the topic of my message today, just a little word association game. You could participate at home if you can. Uh, Just tell me what you think of, immediately comes to your mind when you hear the person's name that I mention. LeBron James. You should have said basketball or NBA or maybe the Lakers now. How about if I say Jeff Bezos? Billions of dollars. (laughs) Amazon, right? Luke Skywalker. Jedi, Star Wars, yeah, lightsaber, whatever. Tom Brady, NFL, quarterback, Super Bowl rings. Now let me turn back the clock quite a bit, actually. And I'm going to say a name, and I did this on Dennis Hampton, so you might have to be (laughs) a little bit older to get this one. Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness. Well, if you did know him, Dennis got it right immediately. Um, he said Untouchables. And it actually became a movie later on. Uh, Elliot Ness was the leader of a group that was coined. Actually, the name Untouchables was given to him by Al Capone and gangsters in Chicago during that time of prohibition back in the 1920s. They were untouchable. They had a list of untouchables. Elliot Ness and the guys, usually about six to 12 guys that worked for them. Their job was, their group was put together, their law enforcement group was to design to stop prohibition and gangsters like Al Capone. And they called them untouchables because no matter what happened, no matter what they tried to do, it seemed like the gangsters could never touch them. They could never hurt them. They really couldn't get to them. So they called them untouchables. Now, if I, fat, I go backwards a little bit more in time, I might say Jesus of Nazareth. Now, in 21st century, we may not say this or relate this to his name, but in his time, they certainly would have. They would have said perhaps untouchables as well. Untouchables in Judaism in first century was not because or a group of people that couldn't be touched, but rather untouchables were a group of people that nobody wanted to touch. Um, And the reason was because of their condition, they were considered unclean. They were ceremony and ritually unclean in, uh, in Second Temple Judaism. They consisted of, they also have a list, a list of untouchables in the first century included lepers, um, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, blind people, certainly Gentiles and perhaps above all Gentiles, Romans, uh, people who were demon-possessed. All these people would have been considered untouchable. They were in four categories, basically defiled, demonized, dead, diseased people. If you were in that category, um, there was a sociological term that people used to describe you and your relationship to God, and that was sinner. Now, we use it as a theological term, and it's rightly so. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners And that's a biblical truth. But it was more than just a theological reality. In first century Judaism, it was a social reality. Because if you were defiled, you were demonized, you were obviously diseased, it not only had physical ramifications, but it had all kinds of ramifications. And if you wanted to stay pure and clean before God according to Torah and the way they'd set things up in the temple, you could not touch 
unclean or untouchable people, nor would you ever allow them to touch you. Because a touch from any of those people in any of those categories would make you unclean. Um, The reality is, is that nobody touched sinners. Nobody touched the untouchables, nor would they ever let them touch them as well, except one person, and that was Jesus. Matthew 8, 3 says, the leper comes up to Jesus, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean if you want to. And he says, as he touched him, he says, I will be clean. The woman at Simon the Pharisee's dinner is washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And Simon whispers, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman is touching him. See, Jesus let a prostitute, a woman who had a horrible reputation actually touch his feet because sinners were untouchable to everyone except Jesus. And Mark's gospel does a great job of giving us a few episodes that adequately adequately and accurately describe Jesus and his relationship with untouchable people. Let me just read them for you. Don't need to turn there. Just listen. Mark 3.10. Jesus told the disciples, have the boat ready, lest the crowd crush him. Actually, the, the narrator says, Mark. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Imagine Jesus just walking from place to place. Hundreds and probably thousands of people were always thronging around him, trying to get as close to him as they could, and they just wanted to touch him because they wanted to be healed. Mark 6.56 gives even more detail. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him. It means they begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well if they could just reach out and touch Jesus a little bit. Mark 8, 22. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Read the Gospels for yourself and you'll find that Jesus touched all people in all four of those categories. He went by and touched the, the, uh, the uh, I should say the funeral peer of a, a young man who was born, or actually who died in the city of Nain and his mother was weeping over him. Jesus touches the funeral peer or buyer as it goes by, which would have made him unclean. But Jesus touched, he touched dead people. He touched blind people, diseased people, sick people, immoral people. But the question is, and I actually have two of them this morning. Why did Jesus want to touch people? And maybe the second one that you might not have thought of, why would people want to touch Jesus? Let me just unpack them one at a time. Why did Jesus want to touch people, especially people in the classification of untouchable? You know, touching people communicates something, doesn't it? And Jesus wanted to communicate something about God by the way that he touched people. And here is that reality. This is what God is really like. That's what Jesus wanted to communicate. He wanted to say that when I touch people, especially people that nobody else wants to get near, no one wants to be around them, no one wants to touch. Here's what Jesus would say. I'm doing this because this is what God is really like. Now, you have to put all the theology of the Old Testament behind Jesus' ministry to bring you up to snuff, so to speak, about what he's doing. In the Old Testament, 
every Jewish person who knew the Torah understood that since the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, that people had been separated from God. They were no longer able to walk with God in the garden like they would. They couldn't be close to God. They couldn't be near to God like they used to because of their sin. Adam and Eve basically were banished from the presence of God and they were cast out of the garden and an angel with a flaming sword was put there because they could not come back into God's presence because of their sin. Now, because of the COVID-19 virus, we have practiced social distancing. But there's something even worse than that. And that is because of our sin, God began to practice spiritual distancing. God said, Adam and Eve, you cannot be close to me anymore. You cannot come near to me anymore. You can't be in that. Now, if you read the Old Testament, and I'm going to give you a few examples, it is very clear that the Old Testament wants you to make emphatically understand this reality. Because of your sin, you cannot come close to God. If you read Exodus 19... When Moses brought the people out of Egypt to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and he was going to give Moses the Ten Commandments on the mountain, here's what the instructions that God gave to Moses to the people. In Exodus 19.12, And you shall set limits for the people all around, all around the mountain, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain, listen to this, or even touch the edge of it, Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You can't even, not can you not get close to God, you can't even get close to the mountain that God is at the top of. Because here's the idea, your sin has separated you from God and you can't even get close, you can't even, not, you can't touch God, you can't even touch the mountain that God is on. Because if you do, you're going to die. 2 Samuel 6, 6, David was bringing the ark of God to the city of God. And it says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it and touched it. For the oxen had stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his heir and he died there beside the ark. I mean, here's a guy who's got good motivations. The ark of God is, is going to fall on the ground and he goes, puts his hand out and touches it to steady it, steady it and God strikes him down. Why? Because the principle remains no matter what your intentions, right? You cannot touch God. You cannot get close to God. None of those things. Now here's the hard part about that reality in the Old Testament. You can't touch God, but you need God to touch you. You need God to get close to you. You know why? Because that's the only way your sin can be forgiven. Listen to Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 4 through 7. Woe is me, Isaiah the prophet. The godly prophet, woe is me for I am undone. I am disintegrating. It means I'm falling apart, he says, in your presence. I'm undone and I am a man of unclean lips, he says. And and then it says a a verse later that a seraphim, one of the angels, flew from from heaven and says, flew to me and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And this one says, and he touched my mouth. And he said, behold... This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, here's the the, the most difficult part. And Jewish people knew this. 
You can't touch God, but he needs to touch you. If you're going to be right with God, Isaiah can't even represent God or speak for God until an angel comes and touches his lip with a coal and atones for his sins. So you can't know God. You can't serve God. You can't do anything from God. You need his touch. We don't have time this morning at all. We could develop it even more. But go through the tabernacle, go through the temple system in the Old Testament. And everywhere you went, as you, entered the, as you got closer to God's presence, there were walls, there were barriers. Even in Judaism, in Jesus' day in the second temple, there were plaques written in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. If you go beyond this point and you're not supposed to, you will die. <laughs> You get into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was and there are pictures of the Garden of Eden with angels on it picturing that you can't go beyond the curtain because Adam and Eve sinned and ruined it. You can't see God's presence. You can't go near him. You can't touch him. See, but that's why we needed the New Testament. We needed God to make a way that we could get close to him again, that we could touch him. See, Jesus is what we needed. If we're ever going to come close to God, to God again, we're going to need someone to bring us there. And that someone is none other than Jesus. You see, in Christ, God has drawn near to people again. In Jesus, God can touch you and you can touch God. See, why did Jesus want to touch people? Because he wanted you to know that God has come. And God has made a way for himself to touch the untouchables. Way back in the day, I'm showing my age. 1987, there was a television commercial by AT&T. And the theme of it was this little phrase, reach out and touch someone. I don't know if you remember that. But the idea was that if you couldn't be there in person, in fact, a few years earlier, a slogan that went around on the TV as well was the next best thing to being there. That's how they advertise you getting a phone. Because if you couldn't be there in person, that the next best thing you could do if you really wanted to reach out and touch someone was to get a phone. And AT&T, of course, thought they were the best one delivering that personal touch. But can I tell you, thankfully, God didn't settle just for the next best thing. No, in Christ, God chose being there. See, God knew that we could never come back into his presence, that we could never touch him, that he would never be allowed to, we could never touch him back either. And so Jesus came. And God is reaching out through Jesus to touch someone, not at a distance, but up close and personal. And that's what Jesus and his coming meant. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus touches people. Here's why. Because God touches people. He wants to touch people. And if you just let this reality sink in in your mind, it's amazing. It'll blow your mind. In fact, the Apostle John wrote about it. And decades after he had been with Jesus personally, he still couldn't get over the fact that God had come and he had touched him. The beginning verses of 1 John go like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked on. And then he says, and have touched with our hands. He says, you know how great it is that Jesus came? We can touch God. 
We touch Jesus with our hands, he says, concerning the word of life. See, in Jesus there is a new beginning with God. In Jesus, God can touch us and we can touch him. Well, Pastor Walker, that's great, but here's, the, here's my problem, here's the question. But would God really want to touch me? I mean, really? Would God want to be near me? If Pastor Walker, if you knew me, if you knew some of the things I had done, do you think God would want to touch me? And I understand, because touching in our culture, it communicates friendship, doesn't it? It communicates relationship, closeness. I mean, we say things all the time to people that we're really close to and we haven't heard from them as often as we like to. What do we say at the end of our conversation? Hey, please stay in touch, right? And, and if we haven't talked with someone that we really love or we really have a close relationship or friendship with, we feel like we haven't heard from them or talked to them, we say, wow, I just feel like I'm out of touch with so-and-so. And then if we really don't want to be near someone, and they try to get near to us, and they don't understand there's something, there's a problem in the relationship. What do we say? Don't, 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 don't touch me. Why? Right? You say that. Why? Because those phrases with the word touch in it, they communicate either the distance or the proximity of the relationship. And the closer you are to someone, the more personal the relationship, isn't it true? The more personal the touch. So I see you at church, and you come up, and I know you, and I know your name, and I know a little bit about you, right? But we're not close or we're not really good friends or you're not my family or in that way. So I might give you a handshake, you know, because a handshake is good, right? It means that we have some sort of relationship going on. But you go up to someone and you're really close to them and you really love them and, and, and you have a really long-term, ongoing relationship. You're not going to just shake their hand because they're going to go like, what? They're going to shake my hand. You're going to come up and you're, you're going to what? You're going to give them a big hug, Right? Right, And you're going to tell them you're going to embrace them and you might even hold that embrace out for a few seconds. Why? Because the way you touch them shows how close you are to them. And if you're really close to someone, obviously for our spouse, only him or her, right? If you really love them, you're going to touch them. You're going to kiss them. Why? We don't just go around. Why? Because we're closest to them, you see. It communicates. So why would Jesus want to touch people? Why would he touch someone's face or rub in the blind guys? Why would he go and get close to them like that? Because you know what? He wants to communicate this. I do want to have a relationship with you. Let me say it more. God wants to have a relationship with you. And, and he, listen, and he wants to have it despite the fact that you should be at a spiritual distance. Despite your problems, despite the things that would make everybody else want to push back when you try to touch them. No, 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 no. Don't get, no, Jesus doesn't put his arms out except to hold you. Why? Because he's communicating something. He does want to have, well, Pastor Walker, really, would Jesus want to be, I, he may want to be a friend with me and, and maybe shake my hand. I mean, really, though? I mean, you think he wants to have a personal relationship with me? And you might be thinking in your mind, although you might not voice it out loud, you know, because I'm such a sinner. I read the passages over and over this week. He touched lepers, blind people, prostitutes, tax collectors, dead people. Can I tell you this? Jesus is God. 
And those texts show me this. He wants to touch you. And it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how untouchable you may think that you are. See, God doesn't want to just touch you. He wants you to touch him because it wants, he wants it to be a mutual relationship. And that's why I ask two questions. Not just why did Jesus want to touch people. That communicates, doesn't it? But the text we're going to look at in Mark 5, the last few minutes, answers the second. But why did people want to touch Jesus? And why did he let them touch him? Well, here was a woman in our text, if you look at that Mark 25, 25 through 34, it's a woman who has an issue of blood. And let me tell you what that means. That means she's in the category of being defiled, which makes her an untouchable. And it means this, everything and everyone she touches or touches her, they become defiled and they become untouchable and they become unclean. Now you have to realize untouchable means unclean. In this text, she's only called woman. Three women stories in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, all of them are untouchable and none of them are named. And it's... The author of Mark is trying to tell you this is what it's like to be in this boat, to be in this condition. You're untouchable, you're unclean, you're unnamed, she is unhealable, and everything becomes now unaffordable because the Bible says that 12 years she's had this. The Bible says she spent all she had. She's come to the end of her rope. She doesn't have any more options. And so read, put this in your mind. Try to feel what she feels like. And I don't mean just because of her physical disease. No, I mean feel it all. Because when you have a disease in the Old Testament and you're unclean, it's more than just having a physical problem. It is a problem on every single level. Because when you're unclean, it has social ramifications. So now she goes home and sits on a chair. The chair is unclean. Everybody in her family is unclean. And everybody looks down on them. And they're considered outcasts socially. It may be hard to even get food. Because if you go to the marketplace and buy stuff and you touch it, it's unclean. It's a real issue. Nobody wants to be around you. Your friends drop off. And you're not hanging out with them anymore. And your life becomes incredibly lonely. There are spiritual ramifications because now you're unclean and you cannot go to synagogue. You cannot go to temple. You are not fit to be around other people because you are not spiritual anymore, remember? You are a sinner. You are classed socially and theologically not acceptable, not approved. So the worship factor has been erased from your daily life. Financial ramifications, the Bible says she had spent all, verse 26. It's the same word Luke, Luke 15, 14 says of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and wasted it on ungodly living. He didn't have anything left. He was down to zip, nothing, no reserves, nothing in the savings account. Not to mention the emotional ramifications. Can you hear it in the words in verse 26? She had been to many physicians because she had suffered its many afflictions. Many. I mean, appointment after appointment, medication after medication, procedure after procedure, nothing helps. And on top of it all, it says she wasn't getting better in the text. It says she was getting worse. 
In other words, it was going somewhere and it wasn't the direction. You think after 12 years and all the doctors and all the pain and all the agony and all the loneliness and all the money, she would have finally got somewhere, but she hadn't got anywhere. In fact, she lost ground. It was only getting worse. Have you ever felt that way? See, it's bad enough to lose everything, but she also had lost every one. You know, if you become destitute and poor, if you have your husband or wife and you have a great relationship with them, you think like you can get through anything. And if your children are good and you're all good as a family, it's a hardship. Yeah, it is. But you can get through it. But imagine you lost everything and everyone. See, she was bankrupt in so many ways. She had an empty wallet. She had an empty life. And she had an empty heart. She was without health, she was without help, and she was without hope because it was getting worse and there was not a doctor, not a medication that could stop it. See, you might say in your heart, I've tried that too, Pastor Walker, I've been there. I've tried to find joy and happiness and wholeness and satisfaction, you know, something to complete my life. And I've had a girlfriend, I've had a boyfriend, and I've had a job. And I thought if I got this car and I got this promotion and I had this going for me, if I could get a little bit more, and if my kids did this and I lived vicariously through their lives, and if they attained this and went to this college and they got this and see, in the day in which we live, we can see, can't we? All those things don't amount to anything, really, seriously, in the long run, do they? I mean, most of all those things we thought would do it for us, they're gone. They're gone. We can't get them anymore. And you can say and add all these things. I've tried this, and I've tried this, and I've tried this. And you know what, Pastor Walker? It's empty. (laughs) It's empty. And you look around at your life and all the trappings and the trimmings, and many people would say, It's empty. I spent it all financially. I've spent it all emotionally. I've spent it all relationally. You know what I've got? Nothing. But verse 27 says, in the midst of that kind of personal situation, verse 27 says, but then there was the day she heard reports about Jesus. Now, what kind of reports would she have heard about Jesus? You know what I think they were, based on the text in Mark? She heard reports that Jesus touches people. Reports that Jesus lets people touch him. Remember 656 of Mark? People said, if I might touch even the fringe of his garment, because as many as touched it were made whole. And she heard, hey, other people, if they just got close enough to teach us, and their whole life was changed. I mean, everything was changed. If I could just touch them. Um, On the screen before you is a scripture that you may not be familiar with because it's not familiar to most people. In Malachi 4.2, it says... But for you who fear my name, and the verse before it is about wicked people who don't fear God's name, and that the Messiah is going to be prophesied, and when he comes, he's going to be in judgment on the wicked. But for people who were godly and feared his name, here's what their promise was. The son of righteousness, which is a title for the Messiah, he shall rise. I mean, when he comes, he's going to come with healing in his wings. I have, if you can see it here, I'm going to put it on actually. It's called a tallit. Say it at home. Kids, you can do this as your participation. Say tallit, right? This is the whole thing. It was a prayer 
to cover your head. Men, when they prayed, put this over their head if they wanted to be covered before God. And they would put this on, especially they pray. They, they still wear them in slightly different ways today in modern Judaism. But a tallit uh, was the prayer shawl that you had on. Now, because the Old Testament commanded that at the end of your garment, you would have, and the Hebrew word is kanaf. And kanaf means, is the word wings in Malachi 4.2. And it's translated fringe or hem. In other words, at the bottom of the garment, you can see it here on both sides of this. If I can get it right, there it is. There is, and this is called a tzizit. T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. And it was at the end of your garment. And if you were Orthodox Jew, you put this on here. Now, it's not just... Um, a tassel at the end of your, your prayer shawl, it stood for things. You can see here the colors are significant. But let me just hone in. There's a lot of things that are significant. But just let me tell you one. One of them is that there is, you can see it here, there are a number of knots, five of them. And then there are little strands in between them. In Judaism, for thousands of years, there's been a science called gematra. Gematra is that every... There's 22 consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. Each one is given a numeric value. So a word has a number related to it based on the letters that are in that word and the value given to it. The word tzizit, the number that that whole Hebrew word comes up to is 600. You had five knots, eight strands in between those. So you put 600 for the name of this. The knots are five. The strands are eight. The total is 613. That's significant because there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. So if you're a Jewish guy and you're praying and you've got your hand on this, as you rub it, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking about all the commandments of everything God has told you to do. And that because you're in this prayer shawl, you're in his presence. You know what he wants more than anything from you is that you would obey his word. And so you're praying and you're holding this and it was very significant. But this verse, Malachi 4.2, was taken literally by scribes and Pharisees and study men of the law in the Old Testament. And they believed that when Messiah comes, that if you could just touch this little part of his garment, the little fringe, the, the wing of his garment, you could be healed. So our, 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 the lady in our passage, she has heard reports, and in fact, this isn't something new that people believe that when Messiah comes. This was something that had been known for centuries. And so here she is hearing reports of people touching the garment and the fringe of Jesus. And you know what she does? She wants to get close to him. Because here's what she comes to, and the realization that she comes to. If I could just touch Jesus, I can be healed. You know what she's saying? She's saying he can do for me. What nobody else has been able to do. All the doctors couldn't do. All the money couldn't do. She's thinking in her mind, if I could just get close to Jesus and he would heal me, there'd be no more waiting, no more years, no more spending, no more crying, no more loneliness, no more ostracization. I, I, wouldn't, I, would, I could go back to synagogue, back to the temple, and God would accept me again. The word touched it's key in this text. Four times, verse 27, 28, 30, and 31, it's used. Why? Because God wants you to get 
and me to get this idea that, yes, God wants to touch people. Jesus wants to touch, but he wants you to reach out and touch him. He wants you to believe who he is and why he came. So she does exactly what she was thinking. She gets up behind Jesus in a large crowd. Remember we said before, people are pressing him and pushing him and touching him. Want to get to, And she reaches up and his tzizi is hanging down below his waist. She reaches up behind it and she pulls on or touches that little tassel hanging down. And it says immediately, twice in our text. It's a key word in Mark's gospel. 38 times it's used. And what it means is it was instantaneous. As soon as she touched it, the issue of blood dried up in her and she was well. She was well. She had come to the realization that, you know, who Jesus is? He is, Malachi 4.2, he is the son of righteousness. He's the one that has come. And he's not only going to judge our enemies, but he brings healing. And I want in on that. And she has faith to believe that he is really the one that she has needed all along. So when are you going to realize that? When are you going to have the faith to reach out to Jesus and say, you know what I need more than anything, more than a job, more than being popular, more than being you know, good at something or having success or money or all that the world, you know what I really have come to the realization, you know what I need more than anything or anyone else, I need Jesus. When are you going to reach out by faith and recognize that he is what you've been looking for? He is what you are to be seeking, to realize that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day for your justification. And the greatest problem you face is not an issue of blood, but an issue of sin. Now the disciples are amazed at all this. (laughs) And Jesus says something that kind of floors all of us. In a crowd of people that are surrounding him and pushing on him, he says in verse 30, who touched me? And the disciples go, Lord, really, we'd say today, come on, are you kidding me? I mean, there are people around you Touching you all. And we're all touching you, are we? Or we're trying to. And you're going to say one person in particular touched me? Because here's what the scripture says. Jesus knew power went out of him. You know why Jesus invites you to touch him? Because he has power for your greatest problem. I mean, not only physically, of course. But spiritually. Spiritually. And he allows her. So that means Jesus knows who's touching him and why he's touching. Because there were a lot of people touching him, but it wasn't out of faith. They weren't faith touches. But her touching him was different. She had reached out to touch him in a way that no one else in the crowd was. And can I tell you this? He's waiting for you. There are a lot of people who want to touch Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Personal reasons. Selfish reasons. But he's looking for, he's waiting for the people who will touch him in faith, believing that he's the only one that can make them whole. So why should you reach out? Why would people want to reach out and touch Jesus? Because he's the only way they could be whole. The only way. And so he says to her, not because he's angry, because she's, she comes up to Jesus and gets on her knees and says, fear and trembling is the word it says. She's upset because now they think everybody's going to be upset with her because she's unclean and she's touched the clean rabbi and everybody's going to be mad. So she's, she's thinking Jesus is going to be upset with her, but he doesn't. He, he says the opposite. 
He says, daughter. And can I tell you, it's the only time Jesus calls anyone daughter in the entire Bible. <laughs> so does he want you to reach out and touch him by faith? Does he? Yes. It's a family term, daughter. He wants to welcome you into the family. He wants, you to, con- he wants to consider you his own. But that isn't even enough for Jesus. He goes a step further. He says, daughter, go in peace. Ready? Here's your other Hebrew word for the day. Shalom. Say it. Shalom. You know what it means? It's not just a greeting or saying hi or goodbye. The word shalom means wholeness. He says, I, you, you go in peace. You go in wholeness because I have completely healed you. And he, in fact, he says that so much because your disease is gone. He says to end the sentence. You've been untouchable until now. But now you're touchable I want to touch you, and I want you to touch me, and I want you to know that there is no social distancing for Jesus, and there's no spiritual distancing even more so. Pastor Walker, how could Jesus heal my sin? All the things I've done, all the awful things I've said, thought, did, things that nobody else even knows about, things that I'm doing, in fact, maybe even did last night. How is it that Jesus would let me touch him like that? There is a verse at the end of this very gospel in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. When Jesus, the touchable God, hangs on a cross... And the Bible says that he cries out with these words in Mark 15, 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How is it that Jesus and touching you can make you clean and whole? Because the untouchable God died for untouchable people. Jesus became untouchable so that you would not have to live that way forever See, on the cross, he took your curse. He took your sin. He took the burden of all that you have ever done in disobedience to God's word. And he took it on the cross. He became untouchable for you so that by his touch and your faith in him that you could be forgiven. I love the way, and I'll close with this, John's gospel ends. They run to the garden tomb because the stone has been removed. The ladies have got there first. Peter and John come a little later. They don't know what to make of it. And so they all go back home. And only Mary Magdalene is there in John chapter 20. She's sitting out on a stool in the garden next to the tomb. And she's crying because they don't know. She doesn't know what they've done with Jesus' body. They think she believes someone has taken his body and it moves her. And then she hears what she thinks to be the gardener, and it's Jesus. And he calls her by name and says, Mary. Now, do you understand? Mary, for a good part of her life, was an untouchable. Luke's gospel, chapter 8 and verse 2, says she had seven demons. She's in the category, demonized. She's an untouchable. But at one day, there was a day in her life that she met Jesus, and he touched her. He touched her life and changed it. And can I tell you this? When she turns around and recognizes that Jesus is alive, 
she reaches out. You know what she does? She grabs a hold of him and touches him. Why? Because she can't believe that he's really here. And he tells her, Mary, don't cling to me, meaning she already has grabbed onto him. She's touching him. Why? Because when you've been an untouchable your whole life, and Jesus comes in and touches your life and saves you and changes you, you know what? You want to touch him back. It's the relationship. She's had this relationship with him. And let me tell you, the Easter story coming up, it is about you having the ability to have a relationship with God. He touches you. You touch him back. Why? Because of faith. Because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose again for your sins. And can I tell you, that can be yours. If you're here this morning and you've never recognized that Jesus is God. And that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. All the things that to the world makes you untouchable. And to God. Jesus took your place. He died for those things and rose again so that you can touch him. That you can put your faith in him, your trust that he is your only way of forgiveness of sins. The old song says, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. The chorus, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. You know what it is? He touched me and made me whole. See, that's what Jesus wants for you today. He wants to touch you and make your life whole. Forgive your sins. Bring you into a family relationship by faith in him. If you'll put your faith and trust in who he is and what he's done for you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for being a touchable God. We, we live in a culture right now, and rightly so. We can't get near people. We can't touch people. There's social distancing. But we're so thankful that in Jesus, that you have come close again. And that you've overcome more than just social distancing. You've overcome spiritual distancing. That we don't have to be separated from you by our sins any longer. That you have made a way for you again to touch us and we to you. And I pray for those people from all the nations this morning who may be under the sound of my voice and watching this live stream service. That if they don't know you if they've never touched you, if they've never come to faith in your son and his death for their sins and his resurrection, Father, I pray today that they would know your touch in a saving way, a gospel touch that would change their life for eternity. And for those of us, like Mary, we've already been touched by Jesus. He's changed our life through his death and resurrection. May we in turn cling to him, hold to him, and then overflow with a love for other people that we would touch them in so many ways, even though we can't get close physically. Father, may we do it with all the resources we have to encourage others, to reach out to others, and even give the gospel to others, that in all of this, you might be glorified and worshiped as you alone deserve. And I'll thank you for this rich blessing, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.